0: We are, the Deno family, like the video said, headed to the country of Italy. God began working on my heart about going to Italy in, I would say, my junior year of high school. I was doing a book report for English and we were able to choose our own books. So the book that I chose was a book that dealt with the martyrs of Italy, France, and England. But God really worked on my heart after getting done with the section that dealt with Italy. When I finished that section, I just felt a burden for, to pray for somebody to go back to reach these people. They'd been reached at one point, but had heard of no gospel witness in Italy. I hadn't heard of any churches in Italy. So God just put a burden on my heart to pray for these people. But looking back, I know that it wasn't a burden to pray for people to go to Italy and reach them. He was working on my heart, preparing me to surrender, if you will, to go to that mission field. So God prepared us, God's worked on my heart to go back and reach these people. Like I said, they've been reached at one point, but how many generations ago was that? This generation of believers is responsible for this generation of unbelievers that's the challenge that the gospel gives us. That's what we're responsible for. So that's what God's prepared us to do, is go back and reach these people so that we can bring them the knowledge of the truth. God's put on our hearts to plant a church and maybe many in that Piedmont area, but starting with the town of Pinerolo, you say, why such a small town? Why that area? God's put a a path in my life, let me put it that way, that I've always grown up in a small town. That's where I'm most comfortable. That's where I'm not saying we need to stay in our comfort zones, but God's given me the personality to reach small town people. So all growing up, it was small towns. Anywhere you go in the world, small town people are small town people, city people are city people and there is a different way to be reached. They interact with each other differently, but God's given us such a burden for this small town. When we were with um, Chris Yetzer, the missionary in Milan, he's actually going to be the closest missionary to that area, but when we were with him, we went through Pinedalo, and we were asking God, where would you have us to plant a church? We came, we got off of the train let me let me back up just a little bit in the story. We were coming into Pinerolo, and on the hillside, he was very careful to point out a Waldensian church. And this Waldensian church, it's a denomination that we would associate with in our Baptist history, but not anymore. They've so changed. Brother Rice knows who, they're all over Italy, but... They've so left the truth that they believe that our Bible is nothing more than a book of fairy tales. They don't believe the truth at all. But he was very careful to point that out because even from the architecture in the building, just the outsides of the building, you can see that there is absolutely no light there. It is utter darkness. That should never be said of a Christian church. And that's there in that town all over Italy. So he was very careful to point that out. And when we got off the train, we were headed towards City Center just to check out the sites, get a feel for that area. It was the first in a few planned stops, but God, God settled our hearts there. But on our way to City Center, we met a young girl. I would say she was older teens, and she was running in our direction, and she was crying. Talking to her through Brother Yetzer as our interpreter, all we could understand from her was that she had no place to turn. She had no hope, and there was no hope to be seen. We don't know what the whole situation was, but she was running in the direction of that Waldensian church, and she said that there was no hope. She was running from the direction of a Catholic church, and there was no hope. She's just one of 35,000 souls in that city that has no hope of the gospel. It's been nearly 1,500 years since that town has had the hope of the gospel. That's the reason God's called us to plant a church back in that area. To use that as a hub of what once was to rekindle a fire in that area. The Waldensians were there. They're, like I said earlier, a group that we would associate with in our Baptist history. Those coals, those embers of a fire that once was, are still there. There's a few believers in those churches, but by and large, it's a dead denomination. They don't believe the truth, but there's a few of them that do. We're going to reach those people, connect them, not just connect them, but reach others for Christ's sake, to reach them with the gospel, give them hope of eternity. Because if we don't give them hope, we all know where they're gonna spend eternity. It's a lake of fire. They have no hope of salvation without the gospel. And there's no gospel in that entire region. I was talking with Brother Rice this afternoon and uh, the last gospel witness that we can find in that area left between 15 and 20 years ago. And he was a Church of God missionary doesn't believe entirely what we do, but he has, the Church of God denomination has fragments of the truth, but not the whole truth. So how long has it been since they had the truth? 50, 60 generations ago? These people need to be reached with the gospel. And it's our job because we're the saints of this generation and they're the lost of this generation. It's up to us. It's not the next generation. We're the ones here. So if you're turning your Bibles to Matthew chapter number nine, I'm going to move around a little bit this evening. But Matthew chapter number nine and verses 36 through 38. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them, because they fainted and were scattered abroad, as sheep having no shepherd. Then saith he unto his disciples, The harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Pray ye, therefore, the Lord of the harvest, that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. Father, I ask that you would take this message this evening. Lord, as you've laid it on my heart, whether it just be me or maybe there's somebody here that needs to hear it, Lord, I ask that you would use it. Use it in each of our lives. Use it as you see fit. In your name, amen. Like I said, God was preparing my heart to surrender to the mission field by using a book about the martyrs of old to eventually go to the, fo- to go to the foreign field. But look at verses 37 and 38. Then saith he and his disciples, the harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself, but he's telling us essentially the same thing that happened in my life. Pray for laborers to go to the field. If we, When we read on later, we'll see that he didn't just leave it at pray for laborers. To go to the field. He turned around and he sent those same laborers to the field. But look back in verse 36. But when he saw the multitudes, he being Christ, not just Christ though, Christ is also Lord of Lords, King of Kings, the creator of the entire universe. That's who he is, and that's who saw the multitudes. He saw all of the multitudes, and he saw that multitude. He was moved with compassion on them. So he saw the need, and then he had compassion. And his compassion did something. It moved him. And again, that, who it moved with compassion was king of kings. And then it goes on and says, why? Because they fainted, that's the multitudes, and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. They fainted. They were tired. If you were wandering around, essentially, in the wilderness of religion, you'd be tired too. There is so little truth out there. Until you get to the gospel, there's, I, I, I can say it this way there's no truth out there until you get to the gospel. Right. Right. So, in the desert of religion, you'd be tired too. And they were scattered abroad. They say there are over 15,000 religions out there. Is it me that keeps popping, or is it something else? It's me. They say that there's over 15,000 religions out there. You can understand why they were scattered abroad. And then this next phrase, as sheep having no shepherd, if you put sheep out in front and you push them, they will go in every direction. But the reason why they have a shepherd and only one shepherd is, number one, Sheep know their shepherd's voice, as we're supposed to know our shepherds. But the shepherd stands out in front and leads them. If you put sheep on a cliff to walk the edge of that cliff, and you stand behind them, they'll walk off. But if you stand in front of them and you lead them, you won't have a single one fall off, because they're going to follow the sheep in front of them, and eventually you're going to get to the front, which is the shepherd. Our shepherd is supposed to be Christ. If we're not following our good shepherd, we're going to go astray. As sheep having no shepherd, he's not even there. It doesn't say he's driving them. He's not even there. That's how scattered abroad they were. They're looking for their own way and trying to find a way, and they won't find it. There is but one way, and it's less than a needle in the haystack with how many religions, how many falsehoods are out there. Look down in verse 38. Pray ye therefore, the Lord of the harvest, that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. Christ himself is giving us a prayer request and a command all in one. We are to pray for laborers to go into the harvest. But it is a prayer request. Please pray for laborers to go into the harvest is essentially what he's saying. But if we look at it in a logical point of view, why wouldn't Christ just send laborers into his field? Being it's his field, why wouldn't he just do that? It doesn't get our hearts involved. Reading that book about the martyrs, it, got me, it gave me a burden to pray for these people that I didn't know if they had the gospel. So I began praying for laborers. And it started working on my heart. If we don't allow God to work on our hearts, in different ways for each one of us. How do we expect him to reach anyone else? How do we expect him to use us to reach anyone if we won't be touched? I've been going along, so I'm trying to figure out where I am. He said to pray for laborers. And if we only read verse 38, all we would see is a prayer request. But verse 37 is there. And he says, the harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. I know we've heard these, these verses so many times, especially if you've grown up in church. But without verse 37, how do we even know that there's a real need? 18 churches in the entire country of Italy. We were in northern Georgia, and there's a county there that has 18 independent Baptist churches of like faith in one county. And they don't even have a decimal of a fraction of the people that are in the entire country of Italy. That's how much of a need there is. And like Brother... Reed was saying this. Reed. Like Brother Reed was saying this morning, that's how blessed we are in the States. Right. We don't even see the need because we're so blessed. Right. Right. We can go out west, and there are entire states that have maybe, maybe 18 churches. For an example, the state of Arizona and the country of Italy are about the same size in land mass. Italy has nine times the population that Arizona has, yet it has less than 40% of the amount of churches that Arizona has. Arizona has about 50 churches, and Italy has 18. Again, talking with pastor this afternoon, Italy and the missionaries that are on deputation currently and headed to the field, There are 23 missionaries total. And then one thing that slipped my memory this afternoon, we have one national that is planting the church, and I believe it's this spring sometime. So there's a total of 24 churches eventually. But there's still a need. We could use 24 churches in one province of Italy in the province of Sicily alone, we could use 24 churches, we could use double that. We have such a need for missionaries in all of Europe, but Italy especially. And the results, pastor can vouch for this, the results, they're gonna show up very, very, very slow. So we won't go and reach 30 people in a year it's possible, I'm not saying it's impossible, but the likelihood is very, very slim. Brother Maeda's church that we'll be going and serving in, while we're in language school, before COVID it ran about 65, and that's considered a megachurch in Italy. Brother Yetzer, he's been there for 12 years, and he hasn't taken a single furlough. And when we were there, their church ran about 15. Uh, and why I mention hasn't taken a single furlough is because that means that your work starts over. Without somebody to come and take your place, your work starts over. So he's been working at it for 12 years and has a little over a dozen, a dozen people to show for it. Granted, a soul is priceless you can't put a price on a soul or let me say you shouldn't people do all the time but the fact that the results are slow we know that and it can be discouraging why does a missionary over in africa have 30 saved in one day and we might have 30 saved in our lifetime but the results are not what we're going for we're going to obey the command that God's been given us. Each of us has a different mission field. What is that for us? Is that our neighbors, the people that we work with, our relatives, or across the seas? Each of us have a different place of ministry, and where is that for us? But he said to pray for laborers, let me get back on point. But And if we only read verse 38, we wouldn't understand the whole reason behind it. Let me give you this illustration. A prayer request is made tonight. Brother or sister in Christ makes a prayer request. Please pray for so-and-so. They've got cancer. You can tell in the tone of their voice that there's a lot more than that they aren't saying. So maybe it's just you. Maybe it's you in front of the church. What's a little bit more of the backstory? There's something more here to it. It means a lot more to you, or you wouldn't be bringing it up. It's not just a coworker or a co-worker's family. And they say, it's my niece. Number one, there's a family relationship there. That's why it means a lot more to them than just some person that has cancer. Because cancers hit every single family in America in some shape or form. She's three. It's a child now. It starts to affect our hearts. And the doctors have said it's terminal. Now it gets a hold of our hearts more than just, it's a person that has cancer. She's three and she's got terminal cancer. Our attitude is, let's get the church together. Let's pray until this child no longer has cancer. Not the doctors find a cure for it. We're not praying for a cure. We're praying for the great physician to do a work in her heart. Not her heart, in her body. Yes, in her heart. But prove to the doctors that he's still the great physician. They don't know what they're talking about. But he can do something great. Why is it any different with a soul? It's the condition of our hearts. That's what it is. When we realize that there's no difference between a child that has cancer, terminally ill, and has cancer, than a soul that is terminally going to spend eternity in the lake of fire, burn forever, not just the lake of fire, and never... It sits there in toasty warm. No. Physically burns for all eternity. It's not just something that's been made up. It's something that's real. The Catholic Church didn't come up with hell. God created it. He didn't create it for mankind. He created it for the devil and his angels. But... Mankind will go there if mankind does not accept the free gift. So why is it any different? It's because we see a need, or we we once saw a need, but we've so seen it every single day. It's a problem that's never going to go away. So we just don't even pay attention anymore. We don't see them as the soul that's dying. We see them as someone passing by. We don't know the eternal destination of every person we come across. So do we just take it for granted that we know where they're going? They're going to heaven? Let's just paint it all rosy. Or do we believe that unless we're the ones to reach them, they'll never be reached? Every person comes across us for a reason. You can call it fate. I choose to call it God's working. God's placing us in the places that we are, each and every day, if we'll let him. But oftentimes, we're just going through our day, as we will. What are we doing to reach the people around us? Everywhere we step is our mission field. We saw the quote, or heard the quote from Hudson Taylor. How long have you had the glad tidings in your country? Some hundreds of years. What? My father sought the truth and died without finding it. Oh, why did you not come sooner? Can our neighbors say the same thing? Can our family members? How many of them know that we're Christians, but we've never told them about Christ? Look at verse 1 of chapter 10. And when, he called them, and when he had called unto him his 12 disciples, he gave them power against unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal all manner of sickness and all manner of disease. Verse number 5. These 12 Jesus sent forth and commanded them, saying, Go not into the way of the Gentiles and into any city of the Samaritans. Enter ye not. But go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, and as ye go, preach, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. He sent them out. Very shortly after, he said, Pray ye therefore. He was trying to get a hold of their hearts. Show them of the real need. Because if he hadn't shown them the need, would, he ha- would they have realized that the gospel was not just for them. There's fields white unto harvest. And when a field is white unto harvest, that means it has but 10 days before that wheat has gone to waste. A very short window. We have but a short window in our own lives to reach those around us. We may have more time than they do, what are we doing to reach those people around us? Have we tried today? If not, today is not too late, and we can do better tomorrow. We can start the day trying, but we can do something, each and every one of us. He commanded us to tell others. Look in chapter 28 of Matthew. And then I'll turn in my Bible to Mark chapter 15. Something I want to show you here. When I was studying for this pastor you ever have where it just jumps out at you. And all of a sudden you realize that yes, you know what it says, but it says something more than what you have always thought. Verse number 18. And Jesus And spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations. And we know the rest of the Great Commission. But hold on to that. Go ye therefore and teach all nations. Turn in your Bibles, or you can just I'll read it. Mark chapter 16 and verse 15. And he said unto them, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. So what's the difference in the wording? In the time that the Bible was written, there was two classes of people. There was those that were socially considered people, and then there was those that were considered dogs, gentiles, servants, slaves. The, gen, uh, the, the Jews considered anyone that was not a Jew less than. So, in Matthew's Gospel, Go ye therefore and teach all nations. They can find a Jew in every nation. Someone that has achieved that social status according to them. But even the Greeks had that same classification. People that were people and people that were less than. so they could reach somebody of every nation and call them, call the nation reached, but then we go to Mark, and it says, go ye into all the world, go everywhere, don't let a place be overlooked, and preach the gospel to every creature, every person, every slave, every servant, reach them all before it's considered reached. Preach the gospel, I should say. I keep saying reach them. But it says, preach the gospel to every creature. It is our job, given in Scripture, to preach the gospel to every creature. We cannot reach them. They have to be reached. There's a big difference. We can give them the gospel. They have to accept it. But look at it this way. Christ came from heaven. He left all the splendor. He was clothed in flesh and became a man, but he came in what form? Yes, a servant. If it had been he came in the form of a man, it would have been a gospel for people it would not have been able to reach any of us. Each and every one of us were servants and were slaves. So it's a gospel. Because he came in the form of a servant to serve each and every one of us, but a servant that was less than, it's a gospel that can reach servants and slaves. And How are we a servant and a slave? we were indebted to sin. We were captors, we were captured, we were in chains by sin. Each of us had a debt we could not pay and he came and he paid that debt for us. Now, we're commanded to tell others of this great gift that we've been given. But if we let it renew us, back to when we were newly born again. We wouldn't just be commanded. We would be excited to tell others. We'd be excited to reach them. Can you remember that day when you realized you had no debt? I'm not talking physical. I'm talking spiritual debt. Your debt had been paid. You accepted that free gift. If you can't, make tonight the night. But each and every one of us, if we've been saved, we were at that point at one point, and we wanted to tell others. We wanted to see them saved. Why did we let it get old? First-generation Christians, they've been forgiven much. Second-generation Christians they've seen the change of their parents but third-generation Christians have only heard the stories and they don't even know if they're real I'm a third-generation Christian and to be honest with you in my teen years I didn't know if it was real even after I'd accepted it even after I was saved at the age of 13, I started doubting if it was real. I wondered just how all these stories. My grandfather was an alcoholic. At one point, my grandmother was studying to become a nun in the church. So I wondered if it was even real. But then I got serious about my devotions. I got serious about wanting to follow God, and I found that it was real. But they say that third generations, third generation Christians get to the point where they can either take it or leave it. I was to that point, and I'm so, so thankful I took it. There is so much that I expect God is wanting to do in my life, reaching people, reaching souls, and currently that is headed to Italy to reach souls there. But where we are right now, just because we're on our way to Italy doesn't mean that that's our mission field. That's going to be our mission field, but it is not our mission field. We each have a different place that we are at currently. And that's our mission field. So where are our feet today? In the skit, they they were mentioning shoes. Where are our shoes today? That's where our mission field is. One last thing. Not in that one. Each of us has a commission. We're each called to do something, called on by God to do something. What is it? Turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 12. A little bit of a side note real quick. Look at the title of that book. The capital of Italy is Rome. We've been to the Mamertine prison. And you ask, what is that? That's the prison where Paul penned the prison epistles. We've been to that prison. If you want, I can show you pictures later. You understand very differently. When Paul said, in whatsoever state I am, Therewith will I be content. He was in that prison, if my memory serves me correctly, three years. He could not even stand up in that prison. If he wanted to stretch out, he had to lay down. It was crippling. And the only thing on his mind was the gospel, reaching others, not his physical problems. It was reaching others. We have the book of Romans because he reached people in Rome while in prison and started a church, wrote a letter to the Romans. Like I said earlier in presenting, these people have been reached at one point. The Waldensians, they were a group just like us that covered the entire peninsula of Italy and into other countries now. But they've so departed. They've been washed out. God help us if we ever get to that point. But Romans chapter 12 and verse number one, I beseech you therefore brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. I'll reference this skip one more time, but they mentioned many, many great missionaries tonight. One missionary that they did not mention tonight was David Livingston, a man that went to the darkest Africa, when there was a reason it was called darkest Africa. You didn't know the fate of any white person that went there. But he said, if a commission by an earthly king is considered an honor, how can a a commission by a heavenly king be considered a sacrifice? How often do you wonder, maybe not in this church, but we've honestly gotten the question, what are you sacrificing to go to the field? Today, not as much as they used to. Many times they were never seen of again, seen again or heard of. But today, with the technology we've got, we don't sacrifice near as much. But why is the question even asked? When the King of Kings left heaven and the termsmen used bankrupt heaven, He would have done so for one of us, yet he was able to pay for all of us because he made a sacrifice. Because he made a sacrifice, there is no sacrifice that we can make. That final phrase in verse number one, which is your reasonable service. In this case, reasonable service means the very least that we can do the very least that was that would be expected of us. There's more that each of us can do. What are we doing to reach the people around us tonight? You say, but everybody I know knows the Lord as their Savior. Each of my neighbors. You're in a very different spot from most of us. So go out and find someone. They're all around us. Go to the gas station. If the tellers are saved, the people at the pumps aren't, there's somebody that we can each witness to. What are we doing? Are we taking each and every opportunity to reach them? Father, I ask that you would take this tonight. Use it in our hearts. Father, there's something more that we can do for you. I but ask that you would show us what we can do. How can we reach more for your sake? In Jesus' name, amen. Pastor.
1: As we stand to our feet with our heads bowed and our eyes closed and of we'll a hymn of invitation, if God spoke to your heart, a lot of good thoughts, What are we doing to reach the lost? I like that in Matthew 9, it starts in the heart, it starts with prayer, it starts with praying for the lost, praying for those who are not saved, and then those people that he had asked them to pray afterwards, in Matthew 10, he said, go. It starts in your heart with a burden, and it ends up with action that says, hey, I, I need to reach the lost. I need to be a participating laborer. I need to be doing something to actively reach those who do not know the Lord Jesus Christ. As the piano plays, if the Lord spoke spoken to your heart, the altar is open. Pray, therefore, that the Lord of the harvest would send forth laborers into his harvest. Then he says, go, go ye into the, into all nations, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel.